Hey, my name is Paige, one of our servant leaders here at Ethos. Thank you so much for checking out our podcast today. We hope you can lean in and enjoy this message. We are concluding our series today uh, that we've been in over the last month and a half on emotionally healthy relationships. And as you know, if you were here kind of through some of it, if you weren't, if you consider Ethos to be your home church, I would strongly encourage you to catch up, whether it's through podcasts or watching the videos on, on YouTube. But in fact, really, I, I encourage us always just to stay engaged. If you're not able to be here on a weekend or watch online, to stay engaged and, and to follow up on what we're talking about. The reason being, because I really believe in church to be, it's supposed to be really a, a movement of people that are connected like a family moving together. And so nothing that we do is just a, a one weekend thing. It's really all intentional to continue to lead us in the direction that we believe that God is calling us to go. So you can follow up with everything that we've been talking about over the last few weeks. But the whole idea of this series is really intended for us to create just greater unity within our relationships, to have greater health in our relationships. Because how many of you know that, that really unity and the way in which we interact with one another, the way in which we love and serve and, and, and just behave with one another, it is to be in this distinguishing characteristic of the church today, of the people of God today. And in many ways too, Jesus himself said that the way that you interact with each other will be the one thing that the rest of the world looks at and says, oh, I want to be a part of that. Like our, our interaction, our the way in which we one another one another is intended to be something that's attractive to the rest of the world. And so, so a lot of what we've been talking about over the last few weeks, I think it's really important that we don't just hear it, but that we really begin to begin to apply it. So this morning, I want to share from, we want to share from a, a, a message, a talk entitled Emotionally Healthy Marriage. All right, you with me today? How many married folks do we have in the room? Can I see your hands? How many of y'all? Okay, how, how many of y'all hope to someday get married? Can I see your hands? All right, great, great. Um, how many of y'all wish that you were still single? Can I see your hands? No, just kidding. Come on, Justin. Come on, man. No, it's, um, marriage, marriage is a tricky thing, isn't it? Like, let's just, we, we want to be real and, and honest. It's a, it's a tricky thing. And, and, and just kind of from the beginning of this talk this morning, uh, we just want to say we don't want to even pretend like we have all of the answers or we have this thing figured out. I was talking to my dad just this past week and I was sharing with him, he was kind of asking what we're teaching on and I told him that we're teaching together this weekend and talking on marriage and he said, do you have it figured out? And, and, I, and I said, the message? And he said, no, marriage. And I said, actually, we don't have either one of those figured out yet. But, but no, we don't, we, don't have it all, we don't have it all figured out. But, but the reality is that the, the scriptures have a lot to say about marriage and we certainly have learned a lot over the years, and truthfully, we, we thank God for the number of just older, wiser, more mature marriages that have spoken into, into our lives as well, and allowed us the opportunity to learn from them too. I want, I want to begin this morning with a little participation. We're going to play a little game, okay? So let's, let's play along here. I'm going to throw up some pictures of some famous television couples. And I want you to shout out, don't be shy, I want you to shout out the name of the television show that these couples represent. Are you ready? There are no prizes involved, but pride is on the line. All right? All right? It's an easy one. The Office. Come on. Pam and Jim, right? Like, it's a classic, uh, especially millennial couple right there. Here we go. Number two. Boy Meets World. Boy Meets World has, has really been coming back recently. I don't know if you know this or not, but my daughter is watching the original Boy Meets World right now, and so I'm like impressed at how long this has been around now, Corey and Topanga. 
And, and a lot of millennial boys wanted to date Topanga growing up. A lot of Gen Xers, too. And that's an easy one right there, Ross and Rachel. Um, a relationship that a lot of people look up to, um, and none of us really know why. It's not a good relationship. It's not, not a healthy relationship. Okay, how about this one? I love Lucy. Little known fact about my wife, this might be her favorite show of all time. But she, she's a huge I Love Lucy fan, has a ton of I Love Lucy memorabilia. We, 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 it's no longer... Where? What? Where? Don't you, have, don't you have a bin? You have like a license plate of I Love Lucy. You have like I Love Lucy book. I'm pretty sure you threw all of that away when we got married. I used to. I used to have stuff. Let's move on to the next picture. <laughs> yeah, there are no more. That's it. That's it. The, re- the reality is that a lot of us, a lot of us, especially when, especially when we're single, we tend to make assumptions of what marriage will look like based off of some of the, some of the TV marriage or some of the movie marriages that we've seen. Right? We kind of have this ideal version. And, but what's ideal isn't always real. Come on, right? Like it's just, it's not always, it's not always, not always real. And, and we, we want to talk a little bit about that this morning. Like what, what makes a real healthy marriage. You know, we got, we got married when we were 22 years old. We were really young and did not know what we were doing, but we were, we were committed to one another, and we remain committed to one another, and that, that's been key in our relationship. We, we've disagreed about a lot of things and haven't always gotten along perfectly, but, but I can remember, we were just talking just this past week, just thinking back when we first got married. Those first few years were really difficult for a lot of different reasons, but one, we just didn't have any money. It's like, any married folks remember those days? Like, we just, things were really tight. I can remember specifically, like it was just yesterday, we've been married for over 15 years now, and, and, and I registered for Dairy Queen emails with three different email addresses so I could get buy one, get one free <laughs> Blizzard coupons. Come on, somebody. That was our date night. Like, we would sometimes walk down. To the, if the weather was good, we'd walk to the Dairy Queen. And that was a big deal. We're going to spend $3 tonight on our, on our date. Like, it wasn't, it wasn't always easy. It wasn't, always, wasn't even always that much fun. But it was, it's always been worth it. And we could say, honestly, today that our marriage is the healthiest place it's ever been. Not always the easiest place, but it's, in, it's the healthiest place. And, and as I mentioned, we've, we've disagreed about a lot of things. Like, we don't even want to give... I don't even want to give the, the impression that it's just the big things that we have a hard time with. Like, no, like, we disagree about things like how to clean the house, how often to clean the house, like, where to eat. <laughs> like, it, come on, husbands, you, you learn pretty quickly that when she says, well, I don't care, she cares. <laughs> you know, and so we've disagreed. We've disagreed about a lot of things with church. We disagreed about this message. You're going to have to turn the mic on or else they can't hear you. It, it is uh. on. No, we disagreed about this message. We got into a little conversation the other day. My sister was there. Where is she? Um, yeah, she was laughing at us. It was fun. Yeah, we've, we, we disagree about a lot of things. <laughs> we do. Go ahead. Okay. So here's the thing is, you know, marriage is really meant to be enjoyed. It's not something that God created for us to have to endure. And I think a lot of times marriage quickly becomes a means to an end. It becomes a thing that we're going to check off our to-do list. It's an achievement and accomplishment of sorts. And once we, once we get there, once we mark it off of our list, we just kind of 
go about our lives individually. And that person is really there just to help me do what I need to get done. And I think even, you know, for us, we were talking about this. We, we had a lot of discussions before we even got engaged that we had this goal, we had this just we wanted to accomplish in our marriage that we would be better at 80 than we were at 21 and 22. We wanted to, we still want to be more in love at 80 than we are at 40. We want to enjoy each other's company more at 70 than we do right now. Right. And our goal is just that year after year, day after day, that we would put in the effort and the time and the work to make our marriage enjoyable. And like Jordan said, it's not always easy. Right. It's not always fun, but it's always worth it. Yeah. And I think, you know, we can set goals and all of those things are great. Even, you know, there's a lot of talk right now about work ethic. And I think even having a good work ethic within your marriage is a great thing, but it can really quickly just become a means to an end. And marriage was not meant for that. Right. The only way that we can actually achieve the things that we really want to experience in our relationship is if we are present and intentional right now and we enjoy the journey along the way. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the, kind of the idea that it's progress, not perfection, mm-hmm. right? And, and I think that's, that's a big deal because Perfection within marriage is sort of like some of those pictures that we saw a moment ago. That's kind of this ideal way of thinking, but you, you never achieve perfection. So what we're looking for really is progress. Like we talked about in week one of this series that kind of the, maybe the greatest encouragement we could give to any married couples in here just right now, and something that we have to remind ourselves on is that we have to look in the mirror and take personal responsibility for my role yeah. in the marriage, not for your role in the marriage. Yeah. Which is what we do a lot of times in all of our relationships, right? We point the finger rather than just looking at the, the proverbial mirror right in, right in front of us. You know, statistically, you have a 50-50 chance at making it to the finish line in marriage. And the statistics, unfortunately, it's, it's, it's kind of sad in, in that, that it's, it's the same inside the church as it is outside the church. It's funny because we go to, we go to weddings and we, we go to, you know, we, we, friends get engaged and and we're so excited for them. And, and in some ways, like, I think about it, and this, is, this isn't always good. Like, I'm not saying this is a good thing, but I think, I hope you make it. Like, I hope you've, I hope you've got what it takes to get to the finish line. Because, because the stats would say that you only got a 50, 50% chance. And it's, it's interesting, too, because where else would we accept those odds? Like, if, if you were about to go on a on a flight today and you're headed somewhere south and you're taxing on the runway, did I say something? I don't know. I don't know. Do I have something in my nose? Okay, okay. And you're taxing on the runway and and I'm always self-conscious I have something in my nose, by the way. I often ask people beforehand, like, hey, can you see anything? And anyway, and, and you're on the runway and the pilot jumps on and and he says, attention everybody. Due to the foreseen weather circumstances and the fact that I have very little experience, you have a 50% chance at arriving safely at your destination today. Like, how many of y'all would stay on the plane? Like, no, none of us would. We'd be like, yeah, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait for the next, you know, I'm gonna go get a rental car. Like, we wouldn't accept those odds, but that's, that's kind of what we do in marriage. 
Because a lot of times we, we, we don't face the reality of what's required in order to have a healthy, sustaining, great marriage. And we just want to say with a resound, just kind of like resounding today, I just want to say that a healthy, great marriage is possible. And some of you have a really great marriage. And some of you kind of have a mediocre marriage. And some of you don't have a great marriage at all and you know it and you want something more. And some of you come from broken Marriages And wherever you find yourself today, we, we've just been praying that today would be a day of encouragement, that you would you'd kind of be able to breathe a bit by the time you leave this morning and sense just like the breath of God behind you as you walk out. Like you've got some, some, some practical handles to, to pursue a healthy, great marriage in your life. So we've got kind of four things that we just want to quickly identify. If you're taking notes, you can write these four things down. Four things we believe... Uh, a healthy marriage requires. If you don't have anything to take notes on, by the way, a little plug for the Ethos Church app. One of the reasons why we created the app was we actually put a notes spot on the app. So you can open up the Ethos Church app, click the tab, and you'll see a little spot to take notes there. But four things we want to identify this morning. Yeah, um, just a, a little encouragement. When we were in youth ministry, we always used to encourage all of the students to take notes. And what we told them was, note, note takers, takers are, are history, history makers. makers. So, there's bring some your Bible, a today. notebook, a pen, and a friend. Yes. Okay. So, <laughs> that is what we said. Things youth pastors say. And I look back on them like, why did we ever do that stuff? Like, but it stuck. All right. So, this is not like there are so many other things that you could include in this list, but because we know you don't want to be here all day, we're just giving you four things. But the first thing. I would say is non-negotiable. If you want a healthy marriage, a healthy relationship, a healthy life, first thing you need to do is to seek God. And I want to read Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Jesus is speaking here, and he says, Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything that that you need. And what he's saying is seek God, seek his kingdom, seek his way of doing things and live according to that. And then everything you need will come from that. And I think a lot of times this is, you know, we read this. If you've been in church for any period of time, you've probably heard this, this scripture. And it sounds like a really easy, simple, like, yes, I know I need to keep God first. But as we go through life, so often we do the exact opposite. And we try to put someone else or something else in the position that only God can fill. I don't know how many of you grew up um, in church when you were younger, but when I was younger, we did this little illustration in, in Sunday school. And it's very playful, but hear me out, because I think it gives, like, it paints a really clear picture. And our teacher gave all of us a glazed donut and had, you know, we all had to hold our donut up and everybody has the same hole in the middle of their donut. And the teacher told us, she's like, this donut represents you. Each one of us has a hole in the very center of who we are that we all want to fill, whether we're aware of it or not. We feel incomplete and we're searching for fulfillment. We're searching for someone, something to make us whole and to complete us, to fill us. And they gave us all kinds of things that we could try to put in the center of this donut and things were too big and they didn't fit and some things were too small and so there was still space missing and we were still searching for something else to complete that space. Yeah. 
And then they gave each of us a donut hole. <laughs> we put, how many of you did any are like have any of you ever seen this illustration? Thank you. Okay. So you take the donut hole and the donut hole goes right in the center of the donut and it fills it completely. And then the teacher tells us the donut hole represents God. Now, again, I know this is extremely intellectual and very deep, but <laughs> it is, it, this is a really true picture of how God has designed and created us. And we go through life and we search for, full, for fulfillment and wholeness and completeness in so many things. And our friendships and popularity and accomplishments and our grades and the job that we have and how much money we have and the clothes that we wear and the cars that we drive. For some of us, we search for it in our kids. For some of us, it's with our spouse. I have so many times put an unhealthy expectation on Jordan and wanted him to do something for me that is so unrealistic. And the thing is, is that when we do that, when we try to put someone else in the place of God in our life, and we want them to do what only he can do, we set them up for failure and we set ourselves up for disappointment. Right. And we watch relationship after relationship derail because we're so angry and we're so mad and we're so hurt because we think they weren't there for us. But the reality is, is that only God, only God can give us the things that we really need, the peace that we're searching for. Only God can really truly bring us calm when we're feeling anxious. Only God can drive out depression. Only God can give us our sense of worth and confidence. Only God gives us our purpose, and that's ultimately what it is that we're seeking. Yeah. And I think, you know, there's Jordan talked last week, which if you weren't here, I would encourage you to listen to the message, especially if you're single. But even if you're not, I think he just did a great job at really talking about being single. Because I think too often we look at it as something that it's not. We look at being single as just a stepping stone to what really matters in life. And that's not, like, go back, go back to Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Notice what Jesus doesn't say. He doesn't say, seek me, and then you'll get married. He doesn't say, get married, yeah, yeah. and then you'll have everything you need. Right. He also doesn't say, get married and have the best marriage, and then you'll have everything that you need. We have to stop treating God and treating the word that he's given us as a stepping stone to the thing that, that we think is most important. God is all that matters. And if we have him and nothing else, we have everything that we need. But if you're single, if I could just encourage you in a few things today, just and kind of reiterate what Jordan spoke so wonderfully on last week. Right now, seek God. Your life, your purpose in life is not about getting married. It's not about finding the one. That's not even accurate. That's a myth. You're not on a journey to find the one. You're on a journey to seek God first. And when you do that, he will give you everything that you need. Can I give you just maybe some of the best advice that I could possibly think of to give you if you are here and you are single or you are dating someone and you're trying to figure out if this is a relationship that should continue. 
Ask that person to read the Bible together. Ask them to pray with you. You will learn really quickly if this is someone that is worth your time and your future. Because hear me, you do not want to wait until you are in the deepest, darkest challenges of your life. And hear me, they will come. There will be hard times. Life is not easy. And it is not what we have thought that it would look like most of the time. Don't wait until you're in those moments to find out if the person that you have partnered with for life is willing to get on their face before God and fight and pray through things and stand on the promises of God. You want someone that is going to walk with you in pursuing Jesus. The only way, the only way that we can have a relationship in a life that is centered around Christ is if we keep him first. That's good. Wow. That's good. You guys want to pray and go home? (laughs) Yeah. So kind of the commitment that we're making this morning, you're saying, hey, I'm going to seek the one with my two. Right? Like God is my one, my spouse is my two. I'm going to seek the one with my two. And so practically speaking, what does that look like? What does it look like to actually seek God together? Now, this is really interesting because the first thing I'm going to say is going to sound super cliche, and you're going to instantly be like, of course you say that, you're a pastor, I get it. But the first thing I want to just encourage us with, practically speaking, it looks like just praying together. It's pretty interesting, the statistics of how few Christian couples actually spend any time praying together regularly. I'm not even talking about every day, just weekly or even Monthly, it's, it's, it's very, 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 very few. In fact, Harvard did a study in 2018. It was released. It was done over a 14-year period of time with 66,000 participants involved in this, in this study. And, and it was a secular study. It had no religious affiliation whatsoever. What they were trying to define is, is what keeps marriages together? Like what causes marriages to go the long, for the long run? And what they discovered is the number one thing, in fact... They said that only one out of 1,152 couples who pray together regularly end in divorce. One out of 1,152. What does that look like real, real practically? Well, for us, we, we kind of set aside Saturday nights. We always say Saturday nights before bed, we're going to pray Together, And we, we involve our kids in that now. We were doing that before our kids were of age to do that as well. And, and we pray together. Whenever somebody asks us, hey, would you be praying about this? We'll just kind of drop everything right then, hold hands, and we'll pray together. Sometimes we pray together going out the door. Sometimes our schedules don't allow, and one of us is still asleep while the other is, is heading out for, for early appointments. So we don't always get to touch base there, but we just try to be intentional that we're going to pray together. We use dinnertime meals as a time to pray together. True story, our son who is seven years old, like he does not like when we pray together because sometimes it's longer than he would prefer. (laughs) Not long ago, we were no more than 20 to 30 seconds into prayer and he said, in Jesus name, amen. (laughs) We were like, buddy, no, like we, we barely even got started, son. Like, no, but it doesn't, it doesn't have to be long. It can be short, simple, 30-second prayer. Just pray a prayer of blessing, a prayer of God's love, a prayer of grace over your spouse for the day. It doesn't have to be anything crazy, but here's what's interesting, too. The study goes on, 
And it says that 75% of people who pray together regularly report being happy compared to only 57% who don't. In fact, the study goes on even further and it identified that couples, and here's kind of the second practical thing that we can do together to seek God together. And it's going to sound like, of course you'd say that you're a pastor, but just catch this. It goes on to say that couples who attend church together, same study, are 50% less likely to divorce. And over 60% more likely to say that they have close friends in their lives than those who don't attend church together. And there's something about having those relationships within a marriage that can be really life-giving to your, to your own personal marriage. And so it's, just, it's interesting how these practical things that God designed for us to do together, we're seeking God, we're seeking the one, but we're seeking Him with our two, right? And the third thing is simply to give together, that you set a budget together. Like, this is a big deal. The number of, and we're not going to spend a whole lot of time here at all, but the, the number of marriages that, that struggle and argue and end, you know, in, in, in divorce or separation as a result of money. There's so much stress that comes to money. But, but here, here's, the, here's kind of just my little bit of encouragement for you, that in Matthew 6, 21, kind of a familiar portion of Scripture for many of you, Jesus says, hey, wherever your treasure is, your heart's going to be there too. That we, we tend to care about the things that we spend the most money on, that we spend any money on for, for that matter. And a lot of times, couples don't really have a strategy that guides their giving. Just early on, we just made it a point. We said we want to keep God at the center of our relationship. And it's interesting that, that finances, they're the only thing that God, that Jesus taught, will outwardly display what we care about the most. And so we just made it a point early on in our marriage when we didn't have much money at all that we're going to budget to give money away. This was going to be an important part of our relationship and that we weren't going to be as concerned with the amount as we were with the fact that we're going to intentionally set aside a percentage of our income to give away. And that's why we often say we don't, we don't give to the local church. We give to God through the local church. We've talked about this before as a church, but we this is, this is, I hope this comes across practical, not as boastful, but we set aside money intentionally that we can give away to just people who are, in, who are in need. We want to set that aside. We want to budget for those things. Even if we're not aware of them in, in advance, that way then we just, we have the funds set aside. That's something that we, we got to be on the same page with that. You got to get on this. Does that make sense? It's a practical way, but I'm telling you, your, your generosity, your giving, it centers God in your relationship. But he does it when you do it together, though, too. And so you got to talk, talk through those. you got to talk through those things. The second thing, kind of second thing that healthy marriages do is they explore the, the iceberg, right? Okay, so briefly unpacking this, a lot of us, we're a lot like icebergs, right? There's kind of 10% of our lives that's seen, 90% that's just a bit beneath the surface. And healthy marriages require that you know yourself, not just your spouse, but that you know yourself. And as you allow your spouse to speak into you so that you can better know you, that you humbly accept the fact that you have blind spots, and that you're not aware of all of the, you know, hangers that you got. You know what I'm talking about? Like, you, you don't know. You, and so you need somebody to point them, you need somebody to point them out, right? Like, here's the point. It's like, you got to be aware. All of us have to be aware. And I think this is one of the areas that we just... We're not always great at because we live at such a fast-paced life and we, and we oftentimes just think more highly of ourselves than we ought to. But we got to be aware of how our past 
influences are present. Now hear me loud and clear. God does forgive your past, but he doesn't erase it. And you bring your past into your present relationships. And this is so big within your marriage. Like God's intention is to heal us, but we got to first become aware of what needs to be changed and healed within us. And discipleship, discipleship to Jesus, following Jesus, it has to include an honest reflection on the positive and negative impacts that our family of origin has on us. Because we all, and here's what happens, right? I was just talking to some friends earlier, Sarah and, and Scott, and, and I'm just saying how it's funny how, how within our relationship, within our marriages, opposites really do attract, don't they? Like, we, we really are attracted to people who are, because we see, like, oh, I need that in my life. Like I, like, I need what you've got. I need that in my life. But then when you get married, it feels like opposites attack, right? I was so attracted to the fact that you were so laid back and chill, and now we're married, and like, you're lazy. That's what you are. Like, you're, right? Like, oh, I love the fact that you're always getting stuff done, and you cared about excellence, and now I realize, no, you're OCD. Like, you, you need to calm down and stop working so much. Like, but that's sort of what happens. But, but a lot of it's because that's the way in which we brought some of these things into our present marriage. We brought them from the way in which we saw relationships modeled when we were growing up. So I just want to quickly highlight. I'm not going to spend much time here at all. You can take pictures if you want. Or maybe we'll, maybe we'll throw this up on social media later this week or, or on the app. But just quickly, here's kind of some unbiblical family commandments that we all tend to kind of kind of pull into our present relationship, into our present marriages. And you gotta, we got to be aware of these. And we need one another. Like, Courtney and I have talked through so much of this. Like, hey, that's, that's kind of something that you guys did growing up. And her, her, my in-laws are in the room, so i got to be careful about what I say here. So <laughs> I, love, I love my in-laws so much. I, I'm super fortunate that I married into the family that I did. And, and she's way more fortunate she married into my family, too. But... <laughs> But, but like, like we got we to gotta, we gotta speak into each other's lives in that way. Like, hey, that's, that's sort of like because you inherited that. And, and likewise, hey, hey, Jordan, you inherited that. Here's kind of some unbiblical family commandments that we pull in and see if any of these ring true. And if you're not sure if they ring true, take some time later today, sometime this week, to actually talk through these. Let's not just be hearers of the word this morning. Let's be doers of God's word. Like money. Like we all kind of bring past ways in which our families thought about money into our present relationships. Like, money's the best source of security. Maybe you weren't taught that verbally, but that was modeled for you. The way in which your dad was just constantly working and constantly always trying to just, just provide, he provided well, but it, it's, it, it became kind of a model for security in your home. That the more you have, the more important you are. Like, you got to make lots of money and prove that you made it. Maybe you came from a home, though, that like modeled generosity and, and modeled giving. And so you enter into a relationship and you like the fact that he worked really hard, that he made good money, and now you get married and we see this happen a lot. And one of the people in the relationship, they, they, lo they love to be generous and give gifts and, and, and meet people's needs and, and, and give to the areas that God is moving. And, and, but the other person, not so much. And, and, and it causes a lot of friction you got to be able to identify, like, why? Well, that's because of the way in which I was raised. Let's talk about what does God have to say about this? What should we be doing with our finances? How should we be budgeting in a way that honors God? Conflict, like, we all bring different ways of, of how we deal with conflict into our relationships because of how we've seen conflict dealt with in our, in our childhood. Sex, this is a big one. Like, like, oh, no, we don't talk about sex. I'm actually really fortunate. I think it's one of the best things my parents, my family of origin did for me is we, they talked about sex openly. 
And, and I, I mean, I have very vivid conversation, very vivid memories of my, my dad talking about sex with me when I was, when I was young and, and, and helping me identify that marriage is a lot more than just sex, son. And, 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 and men, we sort of have, we kind of even make light of this a little bit. I was just telling Courtney recently, I was like, I kind of feel bad that there's been times even when, when some young leaders in my life are, they're getting, they're getting ready to get married and I'm like, hey, you're about to have shame-free, guilt-free sex. <laughs> And I honestly kind of felt convicted. I was like, why did I just make marriage out to be just that? Like, and I said this sort of sarcastically, but I thought, why am I doing that? Because it's so much more than that. It's so much better than that. And uh, experiencing anger, like, again, we kind of, we were taught one thing, and it may not have been the right things. You got to talk these things, talk these things out. Like, anger isn't dangerous and bad. Controlled anger is actually really good. Like, God wants for us to be angry about some things so that his righteousness can prevail in those, in those areas. Like sarcasm, it's not an acceptable way to release our, our anger, right? Like attitudes towards different cultures, we bring these into our relationships because grandma, what she used to say about African Americans, and we bring that into our relationships and we may not even realize it. We may not even know that like, we're thinking about something in a way, and the next thing you know, in your marriage, you start to feel this tension. Come on, I, I mean, there was a lot of marriages feeling a lot of tension last summer. But let me just say, it was a good tension. But it can lead to a lot of unhealth, but it can also lead to a ton of health if you talk about it appropriately. And you bring some maybe even wiser counsel into those conversations, people who have been married a little bit longer than you. Success, right? Like you think about success differently, feelings and emotions. We had a... We did a series back in the fall, a little bit more about this, and, and, and like how one person in the relationship deals with feelings and their emotions, how the other person kind of suppresses it, and then you look at the other person who's just really emotional, and you say, you're just so emotional. Right? We kind of dismiss it because that's what we've been taught. All I'm saying is we gotta, we got to like pay attention. What's beneath the surface? Healthy marriages look beneath the surface. And they don't just judge their spouse based on how their spouse is responding in the moment, but they say, hey... Why are you responding that way? What have you been taught or what have you experienced that's caused you to respond that way? And then kind of the, the third thing is, is healthy marriages know how to fight clean. Come on. Like there's, a, there's a clean fight and there's a dirty fight. Healthy marriages know how to fight clean. And most of us, the reality is we just, we're not good at resolving conflicts. Like let's just, let's not church it up. Like we're just not good at it. We're either like appeasers and avoiders or disruptors and destroyers. Like I'm a disruptor and a destroyer. That's kind of my natural propensity. She's an appeaser and avoider sometimes. Sometimes. Now that I think about it, I'm thinking out loud right now. We're going to talk about it tonight. But I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But we talk through things differently. Like Courtney and I, we just, she, she, she needs space. I want to talk now. And it doesn't matter. Why do you guys keep muting me? <laughs> My gosh. You just called out some of the best <laughs> servant leaders in the whole church. Anyways. Um, oh. No, no, he doesn't care where we are. We could be like in a restaurant and like, I'm like, okay, I can like set this aside. We can have a meal, and we can talk about this in the car. You just saw a microcosm of our relationship there, by the way. Why do you keep doing that? <laughs> Why would you do that? That's so, so dumb. Well, because I was trying to, I, baby, I don't know. What, what do you want me to do? Tell me what I have to do. <laughs> it's 
kind of true. <laughs> no, but you know, in, in all seriousness, we were, I think we were six years into our marriage when we finally realized that he did not insist on handling it right here, right now, wherever we are, whoever is around. And I did not insist on waiting until we like had some privacy and like some time and space. It took us about that long to realize that we weren't doing it just to like dig at each other. Like we were both convinced. I'm like, you are just being stubborn and rude and difficult. Are those the only words you used about me? No. <laughs> Okay. Oh, in that moment, but you know, we we did. I'm. I think at this point, everybody's somewhat familiar with like Enneagram, Strength Finders, like 16 Personalities, all of that. We did some of those tests, and it was like the first time in our relationship that I was like, "Oh my gosh! Not only do I understand you, but I actually understand myself. I understand why I feel like I need this time to like. I need it. I need a minute." I'm not leaving you, I'm not like avoiding it, but I need to like process and decompress. But 15 years in, I am more aware now than ever that when we have those moments and we are in a disagreement and we are feeling frustrated and emotions are starting to get a little high and tense, that it is so important for me to communicate that with him. Like, hey, hear me, I need to step away and I need some time to process and think through this, but I'm not walking away from you. I'm not walking away from our marriage. Yeah. Because that was, that was a very real fear of his. Right. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. Like, full transparency, my parents divorced when I was six. And so I kind of always thought, like, like once we got to six years of marriage, I, honestly, I, I was like, yo, we've arrived. Like, I was like, we did it. Like, we, we made it longer than my parents. And, and then I started to realize, too, I'm like, wow, like, why am I feeling so excited about this right now? Like, we got a long way to go. Like, we're only six years in. And, and I started to realize as well, like, oh, the reason why I chase you down and will not, and like refuse to allow you to have any space because I'm just afraid that you're going to walk out. Once we got to like year six, I was like, okay, you're not actually leaving me, are you? Like something released within me. But again, I brought that from beneath the surface, like the iceberg. You gotta, I gotta, we had to bring that kind of to the surface and really talk through that. Yeah, um, but we thought it would be really good and helpful to give you um, some ideas of what not to do. Um, so we're going to give you some dirty fighting tactics. I'm going to try to read off the screen because this got messed up in my notes. So these are things that you should not do. Silent treatment, lecturing. How, how many of you know how stinking annoying it is? when your spouse lectures you. Mine has never done that, but it's annoying. Well, mine has never treated me with the silent treatment for like a four hour never. car ride before either. Never. <laughs> I would never do that. <laughs> it's like the worst car ride ever. You're like, we talk about something please? Like, it doesn't even have to be the thing, just something else. Like, Okay, blaming, attacking, being condescending. Threatening. Don't don't threaten. Don't threaten in those moments, in those heated moments, that you're gonna walk out, that you're gonna leave, that right. you're done. Right. Don't do that. Because what we say in those moments doesn't stay in those moments. Yeah. It carries into our future. Name calling, criticizing, sarcasm, complaining, denying, walking away, avoiding, using the words always and never. 
lying. I want to touch on this one for just a moment because I think sometimes we hear lying and we think these big, blatant, bold lies that just punch this giant hole through the trust in our relationship. But white lies, over, over a period of time, they do the same thing. Leaving out truth and manipulating things so it sounds different, but you can still say, well, I didn't lie. I mean, that, that was the truth. It's the same thing. You have to keep, you have to fight for honesty because the moment that you lose trust in your relationship, you've kind of lost it all. And then this one, I, I mean, it's unfortunate that we even have to touch on it, but violence. And violence of any kind is not okay. When we're talking about fighting clean, we're not talking about being each other's faces and yelling and screaming and just letting tempers flare. We're talking about having a grown, mature, adult discussion and working through challenges. Physical violence is never okay. Verbal violence, it's not okay. Emotional violence, none of those things are okay. And then lastly, being passive aggressive. Don't succumb to the temptation of these things. Yeah, dirty fighting tactics. So what is a clean fight then? Well, a clean fight, it's kind of just our definition, but you could reword it if you'd like. It's just a negotiation between two people for the sake of our relationship. So what it just, no, we're gonna sit, we're gonna talk through, we're gonna talk through these things. How do you approach a relationship? Just a, this is really practical right here, but kind of just some, some quick things. Like, hey, just approach it with, like, hey, I noticed that you respond like this when I, can we talk about that? Like, hey, when you do that, it makes me feel. Like, rather than just kind of pointing the finger, like, share, like, how, like, how does that make you feel? Hey, like, can we talk about how to grow stronger? Like, can we have a conversation? Like, just some thoughts about this. Like, just sit down and, and talk about it. And again, I know it takes two people to do that. It, it takes two people, so you got to both be willing to kind of, kind of dig beneath the, the surface, so to speak. And sometimes we fight, though. A lot of times, actually, the reason why we, why we, we fight is because we have a scorecard. And we, we serve one another with a scorecard in mind. Like, I serve you, yes, but really, I want something in return, and you're not giving it to me. And so now I'm frustrated and upset. So the best advice is, and we tell, we tell young couples this all the, all the time, premarital training, we say that the best relationships are made up of two servants who want to outserve one another. That's the, that's the best relationship. And that, that's pretty ideal. It's not always the reality. We go through seasons where one of us is doing a better job than, than the other. I mean, you know, like it gets really rough when you're both in that, that negative space though, that, that negative spot. And so it's just, hey, I, no, I want, let's talk through this. Like, I do have some expectations. I want to clarify my expectations. We've talked about all these things already before, even during this series. Let's clarify our expectations with one another so that we can grow a stronger, more healthy marriage. Yeah, and then the, the last thing, number four, this is very deep. Are you ready? Have fun. Life is stressful, and it's hard, and it's heavy sometimes. We have a lot of things pulling on us. Some of us, our jobs are just a weight. Some of us, there's just a financial burden that we've been facing, and we feel the weight of that. Sometimes it's just that we just have a lot, that we're just being pulled in a lot of different directions. And I love my kids, 
But sometimes parenting is really hard and it feels overwhelming and I have no clue what I'm doing. And too often I take that out on him. And we do this a lot. I've talked to so many married couples who are further along in the journey than we are and the advice that they've given me over and over and over again is to have fun, to stay friends. They've told me so many times that once their kids were out of the house, once they were done with their job, that they realized that they were no longer husband and wife, that they became roommates, they became business partners, and they lost their relationship along the way. Find things that you enjoy together. Remember, it is a journey that is meant to be enjoyed. People change. I mean, we're not the same people that we were 20 years ago, 30 years ago. Some of us aren't the same that we were two years ago. You have to keep communicating with each other. You have to make that a priority that we're going to stay in communication. I never want to stop learning about him. I never want to stop asking him questions. You know, when we were dating, we lived six and a half hours apart and we saw each other twice a month and I did not care what we did when I saw him. As long as I was with him, I didn't care. I spent hours watching ESPN and listening to Stephen A. Smith argue about what an athlete wore walking into the game. And I didn't care. I was happy to do it because I was with him. But guess what? I have changed. I don't want to do that anymore. It's true. I don't. <laughs> this is funny because every time he turns on Stephen A. Smith, I'm like, oh my gosh. But anyways, <laughs> what we enjoy, <laughs> what we enjoy right now together, our favorite thing to do together is something that four years ago he didn't enjoy. He didn't used to drink coffee. And now he's like... All about it. <laughs> so this is like our thing. We, we started go, a church and I needed a lot more coffee. <laughs> <laughs> we go on coffee dates and we just talk. Because here, here's the truth. If you don't keep the communication going, your relationship will be lost in the silence. Enjoy the journey together. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I think that's the point, is like finding things, like she said, in different seasons of life, it's gonna look different. Like when you have really young kids, those are, those are it's just the hardest season. Anybody, anybody with me? Like when they're really young, it is just so hard. Like, it's just, it's challenging. So it looks different. I was just sharing with my friend John just this past week, he got a newborn baby girl, and I said, man, I, I know it's, it's so hard, but like the best advice I can give you right now is still just figure out a way to prioritize time together. Like, it just, it's too important. And it's going to look different right now. Maybe it's just ice cream when you put them to bed at night, like, and eventually return back into actually going out to a restaurant. But, like, right now, just, like, prioritize it. Like, find a space and a time and a place where you can just have a little bit of fun together. And, um, and, and that looks different for every couple. So um, that's it. We're, we want to kind of close up.